Hello and welcome to Unedited, the fortnightly podcast where we explore the opportunities and challenges the retail industry is facing. Brought to you by Grace Hill and Vicky Giles. From fashion, beauty and homeware, Grace and I will cover industry topics and shed light on how retailers can create a brighter future. Hey Vicky. Hey Grace, how are you? I'm good, mm. I'm good. I've been gripped by the headlines and Mexit this week. How about yourself? Yeah, no, definitely a little bit kind of troubled by the whole Mexit situation in that everybody's so opinionated on it. They really are. There's just so many dividing opinions and some, there's just a part of me that wants to be like, let's just let these people work out how they want to live their lives. True. I guess I'm just more concerned about who we're going to talk about on the podcast because she has been a constant theme since the start. So hopefully... I have a feeling what she's doing might secure her forever as being somebody that we will always talk about. I agree. I agree. I don't think she's going anywhere. She's really not. Another person that we consistently like to refer to on this podcast is J-Lo, absolutely fuming about her being left out from any kind of Oscar nominations. How about you, Grace? Um... Well, I was just thrilled to see Phoebe Waller-Bridge winning Golden Globes. Yes, that's true. And I, I've recently got into Fleabag, and I didn't realise I was had such a thing for priests. But <laughs> I don't I think any of do us now. did. I don't think any of us realised that that was a thing, but apparently it is. Apparently it is. So today, Grace, we have Ashley McDonnell, who is auto luxury or account manager at Google, and she's going to discuss the impact of Chinese New Year on the luxury market. We're going to be exploring the different ways luxury brands have tapped into the lucrative Chinese market, including marketing strategies, which categories to focus on, and which brands have best utilised special events like Chinese New Year and Singles Day to connect with the Chinese consumer and successfully promote their products. So Ashley has spent the last six years working in Paris at the crossroads of digital and retail within the fashion and beauty industries. As a digital analyst at LVMH Group, Ashley worked on the global luxury houses such as Louis Vuitton and Celine to drive digital transformation. Before joining Dior to lead the digital strategy of the travel retail division, focusing on capturing the opportunity of the global Chinese travellers. Now that she's at Google, Ashley is an account manager within the luxury team, working with international brands, including LVMH, on their digital strategies. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you for that fantastic introduction. <laughs> How does it feel? <laughs> um, it's great to be here with you at Edited today. So thank you for having me here to join your podcast. Ashley, it would be great to understand why you're here today to talk about China and what is your experience and understanding of the different platforms. Sure. So for the last few years, I've been working in the luxury, mainly retail space and e-retail. Uh, so I was very lucky to work with LVMH Group. So they're the biggest luxury group in the world. Um, and also with a great e-retail platform called Manier Frere, so they'd be kind of like a net-a-porter, but um, 100% French. Um, and uh, also with Dior, so they're um, one of the major houses of LVMH Group, so I spent almost three years there. And when working with those three companies, the Chinese consumer was super important, because not only within China are they super thirsty to uh, be able to access these different brands, but also while they're traveling. So, especially for Dior, um, when Chinese consumers were looking to buy uh, Dior beauty products, which is what I worked on, so um, makeup, fragrance and skincare, they would uh, look towards all these Western brands and they would want to be able to access them. 
actually accessing them in the local market so within China wouldn't be as easy as, as for us basically you know we have our boots here you have Sephora in the US but in the different retail spaces in China it wouldn't be as easy so a lot of them would be searching online they'd want to be able to buy through different e-retail platforms or through the Dior site for example directly so it was a big mission for us as a company to be able to provide a really good service and make sure that we were able to reach these consumers who we knew wanted the product um, so my specific role for the last few years when I was at Dior was within travel retail. So all of the kind of distribution channels to do with duty-free. So in the airports, mm-hmm. also in duty-free zones, you have an entire island actually in China called Hainan, which is completely duty-free. <laughs> wow. Um, but then also in downtown stores, so like in Hong Kong, for example, you have stores that are actually in the city, but they're duty-free. Mm-hmm. So that's quite interesting. And then in Korea, you'll have stores downtown that are duty-free you show your boarding pass you don't pay the taxes and you're going to pick up the products later in the airport so we worked with all these different um, types of retailers globally not just in Asia but also here in in Europe uh, EMEA in the Americas Um, and we had to really cater to the Chinese tourist because this year 2020 um, I think we're looking at over a hundred million Chinese tourists Uh, outbound internationally and even just during this Chinese New Year period which isn't a very long period they're expecting over 7 million outbound international tourists from China Um, so it's a lot of tourists and they want to shop and they want to be able to reach these brands and these brands need to be able to cater to the Chinese tourists very different way of working with uh, Chinese consumers than than your European ones or your American ones so that's why I know a few things about China. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are very excited to have you here to talk about that. So I was going to just ask, what factors do you think brands need to be considering in order to create a successful Chinese New Year campaign? Sure. So I think the first thing is always to be really considerate of how important Chinese New Year is to the Chinese population. So culturally, what does it mean for them? Um, what are the different codes associated with that? Really respecting that this is a special moment of the year for them. It's like Christmas and New Year's for us. It's you know a period that's really special. And if brands are going into that with just the perspective of making money or exploiting this uh, time of the year when people are um, gifting a lot, then it's going to be quite transparent. It's going to be quite clear. So I think being aware of yeah what the traditions are, being mm-hmm. respectful of this time, um, are really important. I always say anyone that's trying to market to Chinese in general, whether during this period or not, have someone that's Chinese on board in your marketing team. Make sure they're present the whole way through, um, whether it's for the actual campaign content, for the translations, super important. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't directly translate Chinese. You can have a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of accidents if you do stuff like this. Um, and I think being present on the right platforms is really important. So whether it's the right social platforms, the right commerce platforms, all this kind of stuff. You're not going to reach, you know, in the masses, the Chinese consumers if you're just doing ads on um, the, the platforms that we use in Europe, for example. Yeah. So what are those platforms then in your opinion? What are the ones that we need to be targeting the most? So the most used platform, social platform, is WeChat. So it's really a, a monster app. I recommend for everyone to download it just to see what it's like and to see how Chinese consumers spend most of their day are Chinese people in general. They spend a lot of their online time on WeChat. Isn't it like a combination of like Apple Pay and Facebook and Instagram mm. all rolled into one? Yeah, it's really it's everything. It's even more than that. It's also your Uber. It's your Deliveroo. Um, it's open source for uh, mini programs, they're called. So it's like cloud-based apps 
So anyone can create a mini program, put it in there. So it, lives it has no limits. Um, every restaurant has their menu on WeChat, for example. <laughs> you just scan a QR code on the table and you have the menu, which is technically a, a mini app within it. So there's really no limits, yeah. It's fascinating. So really important for brands and retailers. You mentioned kind of having people on the team who are Chinese or who understand mm-hmm. that culture to make sure that you're kind of really hitting best practice for that. Exactly. And even understanding like what platforms to be on. So as we were saying, like WeChat, it's super important to be there. Um, Now you can do commerce on WeChat as well through those mini programs. But then like what audience are you trying to speak to? Is it a Mm -hmm. more young audience? Obviously, TikTok is Chinese. So being there is a great way to communicate, to create fun content. Um, But then you also have uh, Weibo. So it'd be kind of a combination of Twitter and Instagram. It's smaller, Mm -hmm. bite-sized pieces of content, Mm -hmm. but has a huge reach. And in general, the engagement is high. Then um, you also have live streaming, which is massive in China. People love to live stream everything. So (laughs) that's a great way to speak to the audiences in a format that they really enjoy watching. But then you also have the more um, kind of e-commerce focused platforms, which are all quite social as well. There's a social element, I think, to everything. Um, You have like Red, for example, which is a great app. So you have influencers that are based on this app, Red, who are maybe only there. They mightn't be on any other platform. Um, but they're selling and you can buy via Red. So there are huge warehouses that Red actually has. You can buy directly from Red itself as a platform or you could be buying from the influencers. So that's quite an interesting one to be on as well. So that's influencer driven, you say, rather than brand driven? Yeah, at the beginning, actually, Red, it was really just different influencers talking about what they buy and where they buy it and maybe reselling. So you kind of have this Daigu concept, which is uh, definitely present on red but then brands started being approached by red in the last two years i would say Mm -hmm. and now there's more of an official presence of different brands but you can buy you know red actually are are buying products and selling um via their app as well as the influencers selling directly so you have kind of direct to consumer both peer-to-peer and from brand and from the platform how has that influenced do you think the credibility of influencers knowing that Red now owns this, you know, it's selling certain inventory a certain stock uh, versus being maybe more organic influencers pushing products previously. Yeah, I think everything is pretty polished now. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, well, I think they removed barriers because especially if you look at uh, Chinese consumers, mm-hmm. if you look at the last few decades, China moved super fast. So compared to the West where we had brick and mortar for such a long time, which was really yeah. developed, that didn't really happen in China. So for them, online was a really quick, easy, accessible way to Mm -hmm. access goods, whether it was international goods or local goods. So people are much more inclined to buy things online than in other parts of the world because they kind of skipped that step and went straight to buying online. So I think, you know, apps like Red or WeChat with their mini programs, um, making it easier to buy things online. I think if anything, it was probably welcomed because it removed barriers. Uh, it's not as fluid on, I think, the platforms that we have in the West, uh, mobile commerce and social commerce. It's definitely not a, anywhere near as advanced as it is in China. So it seems to be okay for now. You, you can see influencers that you know live stream their entire lives and the entire day they're showcasing the products they're wearing or the things that they're using, whether it's within their home or when they're out and about. And you can basically just click on all the products and buy everything. Um, so that's are quite they live streaming through a specific platforms, or are they? Yeah, there are quite a few platforms that allow you to to live stream. So, I think Yazebo is a, is a big one. 
you can live stream through Weibo as well. Um, but it's kind of like wherever your audience is, mm -hmm. that's where you go. So I think there are more apps that are used, and more apps with uh, a, like over 10 million users or 100 million users even in China than, than we would be used to having in, in the West. If we can think about the kind of Chinese market at the moment, can you think of a specific brand or some brands that might epitomize real best practice when reaching out to that market? Um, right now, I think Gucci are doing really well in China, Gucci fashion. Mm -hmm. I really like what they actually have just done at the moment for Chinese New Year. So this year, 2020, it's the year of the rat. <laughs> so in the West, we're Not like... Not the easily, <laughs> most easily marketable. Yeah, we're like, rats, wow. Um, but Gucci did something really cute where they have done a collaboration with Disney, with Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse. And it's so nice. And they've done a whole collection around this. And it's really soft. It's not um, what we used to see a few years ago when brands would think, Chinese New Year, everything must be bright red. Yeah. And they would just kind of paint everything red and say, that's our Chinese New Year collection. But this one from Gucci, it seems to be really well thought out. And I've seen really positive responses to that so far from China, which is great. So I think that's something that we can look to as definitely a, a best practice. Because yeah. um, they got fantastic feedback last year as well for the year of the pig. I yeah. remember that they were a brand as well that was also seen to do a fantastic um, job. And I know Marco Bizzari, the CEO, he's spoken a lot about the importance of having a, br uh, a team based actually in China mm. to really kind of drive that content and, you know, I guess spearhead that campaign. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting what you're saying about that kind of blanket, let's make everything red in this range thing. Because I used to buy internationally myself when, when I was a buyer. And it was very difficult because you, you would get kind of communication from what had been previously bestsellers from your partner in the Chinese market. Uh, and quite often it would be red is, is a great seller during this time of year. But it was almost like that blanket application of that one lesson to everything so I think I don't know you're kind of talking about almost like a bit more of a subtle approach to how to capitalize on in this area I guess yeah I think if you look at the the current Gucci collection or even Chloe have mm -hmm. uh, just launched a really nice Chinese New Year collection and they're really subtle they stay true to who they are as a brand they're not pretending to be Chinese or pretending to be something that they're not so they remain authentic to their brand image but they're also being very respectful of the codes of Chinese New Year, of the fact that it's the year of the rat, um, all this kind of stuff. So I think that's, it's really important. They obviously have Chinese people on board when they're doing this. And yeah. mm -hmm. It was really creative what they did. And they didn't just take the approach of, let's make everything red. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, there isn't a lot of red in it. No, it, it's more like um, pastels. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. I, I've seen it myself. It's really, yeah. really beautiful, really pretty, extremely commercial, very kind of... Um, it's 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 very attractive to you know lots of different markets. It's mm. not just kind of like yeah. you said that kind of stereotypical. Um, stereotypical oh, yeah. it's Chinese year. Let's do red and gold. And yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think it will be successful outside of China as well. So you mentioned the codes of Chinese year. Yeah, just for our listeners, like what are those key codes that you would make sure that brands follow when executing a Chinese year? Sure. So it's a really you know. Obviously, it's a big tradition, so there are different uh, elements that are always kept throughout this period. Mm -hmm. I think one that was really interesting uh, for me when I discovered it was the concept of the red envelopes. So you would give these red envelopes to uh, your family, to your friends, but also to your colleagues. And you'd often put money in the envelopes. That was a tradition. And now, um, you know, 
China is a super high-tech country now, so they've digitalized many of these traditions. So the red envelopes, you can send digital versions now um, through WeChat, actually. And you can even create group messages where you'll send these red envelopes and everyone can click on it and win like a few RMB. So you can actually get, everyone can get some money out of the envelope. Um, so I've seen that a lot. And people will share, share that with their families and with their friends. So that's something that I think uh, is really different. We don't see that as a tradition in, in the West uh, at all. This kind of like mass sharing of envelopes and mm-hmm. of money with everyone. Mm. That's something um, that a lot of brands have kind of tapped into as well. Where yeah. they will include uh, red envelopes um, within their gifting, within their branding. Also, if brands have kind of VIP clientele uh, this time of the year, they will reach out to them and they will have like a Chinese New Year gift. Um, and often, of course, it'll come this time in the red envelope, which is actually expected yeah. <laughs> for it to be red and gold. So that's something that's really important. And then uh, traveling, actually, or, you know, traveling to see family are basically because you have, uh, it's, it's kind of the lunar period. Uh, it's the spring festival. So it's one of the longest periods of the year where you will not be expected to be in the office or working, which means that people can travel. Um, it's an opportunity to actually take a flight and go somewhere. So yeah, this this lunar um, New Year, our Chinese New Year, uh, our Spring Festival, <laughs> um, yeah, seven million people are expected to travel internationally outside of China. But then internally, there's going to be a huge amount of trips as well. Mm-hmm. So I think spending time with family and going somewhere together is a, a big thing at this time of the year as well. Are there some major things to be? you know kind of some key we've touched on do's but Mm. maybe don'ts that we need to be culturally cognizant of for brands and retailers when looking at Chinese New Year Um, absolutely I think every year it's quite funny because you'll see brands that really do something that doesn't make sense and that doesn't resonate with (laughs) with Chinese people and they will talk about it and it will go viral for all Mm. the wrong reasons (laughs) every year you'll see these like bloops of Chinese New Year from even the biggest of brands and you're really questioning how how did this pass how How did did they get it so wrong yeah Yeah. every year and nine times out of ten it's actually related to translations like to directly translating something and the word that they've used uh, to basically translate from English or whatever language of the brand into Chinese sounds like something else. So you have a lot of these faux pas with different words that you should avoid in marketing campaigns. So even the word for watch, like an actual watch that you wear on your wrist, yeah. for example, in Chinese, it sounds like going to a funeral. So in the past, mm-hmm. gifting a watch would, wouldn't have been something um, that people would do. But you have millions and millions of examples of these kind of things. So I think... In terms of don'ts, it's don't just directly translate and don't um, try to do it alone. Make sure you consult with native speakers, with creative agencies. You can also do wonderful things with um, Chinese translations. So, for example, the number 520, the translation for it sounds like I love you. So brands around the 20th of May, so 520, they will maybe do shades of lipstick with 520 and they might have some sort of limited edition uh, packaging on it or a design or something like this and that kind of stuff works so well because it's really uh, something that speaks to the Chinese consumer they find it very cute and they're happy to you know have these kind of limited edition um, products that aren't available anywhere else so it's yeah I think a lot of it comes down to actually translating which sounds which sounds really simple but often it's where people go wrong extremely complicated yeah definitely (laughs) um so 
in the Western market, influencers are kind of seen as a fundamental marketing asset to any kind of sort of campaign, digital or print or otherwise. Um, can the same be said in China? Definitely. So I think there is um, there's a different approach to using influencers in China just because of the sheer volume of basically the population. It's massive. Um, which gives more room for influencers as well. Mm. Um, also, the platforms they use are really different. And I think the birth of the influencer maybe came a little bit later, but now they're their own, it's their own machine, this influencer machine. Uh, so in China, they call them KOLs, uh, which stands for Key Opinion Leader. And for example, in the past, I've worked with KOLs who would have maybe 3 million or 2 million followers on Weibo, which is like the Instagram-Twitter combination, and they could be considered a micro-influencer. Wow. And they would have 2 to 3 million followers. So, again, it varies from platform to platform how many followers would... Um, we wouldn't be influencers at all. So you have, yeah, it's like there's a lot more people to be following you, therefore there's a lot more competition. Uh, platforms are different, so live uh, streaming is huge. Um, you can have you know millions of people logging into your live stream to try out a beauty product. That's something that's really normal to happen. Yeah. Um, so you have like the long tail, then you have really like the big celebrities. There's so many different people that you can work with, and you have, as we were talking about earlier, um, KOLs that are native to different platforms. So you'll have a KOL that's really WeChat. That's their thing. That's all they're doing. Right. Uh, that's the medium that they like to communicate. The format they like to communicate with. Um, and others that are just on red, so they're really like selling things, um, and others that will be maybe just doing live streaming. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm getting kind of QVC vibes from, uh, <laughs> from red. red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so are Chinese consumers luxury brand loyalists? Like, are we, you know, how does this differ by demographic and age group? Um, Obviously, we know that it's those kind of since the birth of like the, those that were born in the 80s that are really kind of driving this huge shift in, in consumption in the Chinese market. So it'd be really interesting to understand the different groups. For sure. I think from my own experience working in luxury and with Chinese consumers, it definitely there was a shift um, from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. So if you look at um, the younger generation that's coming in, they are not as intrigued um, in the heritage of brands. So, the, you know, the old traditional brands that have been there for um, for decades or centuries even sometimes, <laughs> mm. you know, the Hermes, the Chanel, yeah. the Dior, that traditional brand is something that would have really been sought after before for the traditional products, the classic products that have been there forever. Whereas yeah. the new wave of consumers coming in, they're more individualistic, they want to stand out. It's definitely more of a, a streetwear approach um, compared to their parents, probably, or their previous generation who would have been looking for the Lady Dior bag or looking for an Hermes bag. Um, so that's, I think you can see that when you're in Shanghai. You can mm. see the, the younger people. They're, they're really cool. Chinese people, they yeah. dress amazingly mm. well. They have really cool style. But so things like collaborations work really well then. You know, those limited edition mm. collaborations that mm-hmm. I don't know, somebody like Nike might do with someone. Yeah. Um, do, does that is that more kind of popular, I guess, with that younger generation? Then? I think anything that can be labelled as exclusive or yeah. limited edition, it's extremely successful. Yeah. So you have, you know, we do pop-up stores, but in China they'll do a pop-up mini programme on WeChat and they'll say available, you know, 2,000 pieces of this 
um, specific bag. For example, we saw this with um, Givenchy yeah. and Mr. Bags. So Mr. Bags is an influencer in China about bags. <laughs> <laughs> and he just loves handbags. And basically, he has, he's mainly on WeChat. That's his platform. Yeah. And he just talks about bags all day long. He's so passionate about handbags. He'll spend 30 minutes introducing a bag and telling you every detail of this bag, from the material to the pocket size to what you can put in it, showing you how many things you can put in there, different ways to oh, wear wow. it. Um, so every bag company wants to collaborate with him. He also collaborates with Todd's now as well, interestingly. But he yeah, did this kind of a pop-up collaboration with Givenchy and it sold out in seconds. So I think these collaboration mm-hmm. combined with exclusive, limited edition, mm-hmm. also online, it's a, a recipe for success. Synergy across all of the different channels. Yeah. And you've mentioned, obviously, that influencers tend to be native to their certain channel. How can a brand or retail retailer understand what is the right channel for them? Is it we should access and touch all of them? Or is mm. it, do some lend themselves better to certain types of brands? I think international brands going into China, if they're not already there, mm-hmm. they need to be careful. They need to protect themselves as well because counterfeit, obviously, is, is rampant in China. Mm-hmm. So if they need to be quite savvy in terms of what are the rules and regulations around these different platforms? How will my brand be represented? Um, will people be reselling my products? And will I be able to control how my uh, image is, is reflected via these resellers? Mm-hmm. So I would say if a brand is, if it's a, re- if it's a fashion or a beauty brand, if you're looking at Tmall, so Tmall is owned by Alibaba, mm-hmm. but it would be the more higher end. So you have Taobao, which is like everything. It's like Amazon would be the closest competitor in the West. But Tmall is a step up from that where brands can create their own brand spaces. You can have rules and regulations about you know, how you are represented there. You will have premium brands already present there. Burberry, uh, Burberry was there. I'm not sure if they're still on the platform, though. Um, you have uh, Guerlain Beauty, which is on it. So you're having a lot more high-end brands and premium brands present online mm-hmm. in China now than before because they have platforms that are cleaner and that are more prestige sure. and then one step up from that so you have the luxury pavilion so it's team all luxury pavilion but you have to be actually invited to be able to even purchase on that one oh, yeah wow. so it's they're both owned by alibaba group mm-hmm. so i think the luxury pavilion if you're able to be on this platform then you're reaching you know really high net worth individuals people that are really interested in accessing exclusive brands high-end brands things that maybe are usually not as easy to access in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, the logistics and basically the infrastructure that Alibaba has within China means that if you're selling on Luxury Pavilion, you're going to have really great um, delivery services behind yeah. it. They even have like white glove services that are available. Oh. So if you're buying something, you can have it delivered to you by a man that has white gloves on. <laughs> wow. Um, so there are definitely there's a platform for everyone. I think each platform is more niche than here in Europe but also the platforms um, they're kind of like monster platforms you know you don't have 50 different e-retail platforms to choose from there there are a select few and if you're present on those then you can reach everyone as you've kind of already talked about it's really important to cater your strategies to to your to your market Mm -hmm. is there such a thing for international companies as a global campaign so something that can be promoted across Europe EMEA US and China yeah, so for me, I always understood that, especially within luxury or high-end brands, um, the purpose of marketing and advertising, it's not to sell. 
you want to speak to the masses, you want to create a dream, but you're not like, buy this, it's 20% discount, mm -hmm. or click here to buy now, it's, it's just not the approach. So for higher end brands, of course your marketing concepts, yeah, they can reach everyone and they, they should build this uh, dream. But then if you want to actually speak to people locally, I think especially in China, in terms of even your translations itself, it could completely change uh, kind of the tone of your uh, campaign. Yeah. So I think with China, you can't miss out on that one. You mm -hmm. will need to translate and the translation won't be direct. So it's going to be something different. Um, and if you're using influencers, definitely use local influencers and be really careful with who you work with because you need to take into consideration who else they've worked with, how they've perceived in the market. Chinese people are very vocal when they think that it's not a good fit, the yeah. influencer that's working with the brand. If right. they're a fan of the brand and they're loyal to a brand and the brand chooses an influencer that they feel is really not... Um, kind of, I don't know, working well with the brand. If yeah. they just think they don't, they're this person doesn't represent that brand for me. They're gonna say it, uh, it and it it happens quite often actually. So it's really important um, doing that as well. And I mean, there are people that are really uh, like huge celebrities for us um, in the West that Chinese people wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. So it it might not be so prestigious or amazing to have these faces uh, on the brand. So having someone local yeah. is also important. Yeah. Absolutely. So what is the opportunity of the Chinese global traveller and kind of which markets have seen the highest growth as a result of that um, Chinese consumerism? So as we were saying earlier, there are a lot of Chinese tourists, um, yeah. over 100 million outbound Chinese tourists expected to travel internationally in 2020. So it's a huge opportunity, um, but you have to be ready for them. Yeah. Um, what does being ready mean? Well, for example, if they're coming to your country, if they're going to be buying, whether it's in duty free or in your high street stores, having the payment methods that they use, so ha having Alipay, having WeChat Pay, um, the Chinese consumers are not going to be arriving with a visa. They might have <laughs> uh, Union Pay, but that's more so with the older generation. So having mobile, mobile payments set up is super important. Um, countries that are closer to China geographically they've already got this down to a T so we see of course Hong Kong Thailand Japan South Korea really like a big shopping destination for Chinese especially beauty shopping mm -hmm. um, and also Singapore so due to their proximity um, visa etc they're easy to reach and they're not too far away so you'll have a lot of Chinese tourists there and these countries know how to welcome these types of consumers they mm -hmm. have everything set up in terms of uh, the the tech side of stuff whether it's the, the hardware the software they will have Chinese speaking uh, consultants sales assistants beauty consultants at the counters uh, that's super important as well if you have enough obviously Incredible. Chinese consumers coming in and they'll have things translated if you're shopping in South Korea in the department stores um, everything will be in Chinese as well wow. for the consumers I, I shopped in in South Korea as part of my buying career and it is amazing how set up actually that whole place is for a whole vast number of travelers I think you mm -hmm. kind of go there and they they it, they make it so easy and everything and it the shopping destinations are just huge they're massive I got lost for a day in one, <laughs> in one. <laughs> it was ridiculous Crazy. they're just enormous I was I was surprised when I went to Selfridges quite recently and I hadn't actually seen Alipay News and there were Chinese, you know, yeah. customers in front of me, and they were buying in Selfridges with Alipay, and I was like, okay, that it really made me yeah. sit up and take note because obviously where 
brands within the UK were having to make sure that they were catering to that consumer mm. and offering them that payment method. Absolutely. You know, some destinations, like travel destinations for Chinese tourists, are super well prepared. Um, Gallery Lafayette in Paris, mm-hmm. they have, like, across the street from the usual store that you would go to, they have, like, a basically Chinese-only store. Everything's in Chinese, and everyone that works there is wow. Chinese. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's phenomenal, so. isn't it? Do we see um, it's more luxury when the Chinese consumer internationally shops? Are there particular segments, categories, you know, brands that they're looking to purchase? Yeah, so I think it's all the, in terms of luxury, it's the classic brands that, that we would know as well. Yeah. You know, the Dior, Chanel, um, Gucci is super popular, especially with the younger generations. Mm-hmm. Um, watch brands as well. So Western wa- watch brands are becoming very popular. Um, they're having their moment now in China. Even when it comes to beauty, I think there's. It's been a few years now that's been happening, but beauty has been growing massively mm-hmm. uh, thanks to Chinese consumers. Whether it's in China itself, you know, Western brands over there are seeing a lot of success. Um, but then, in terms of, for example, in travel retail, globally. The Chinese are coming and they want to buy all the, the Western brands. There's a huge price difference for them if they buy it in duty free and if they buy it while they're traveling because of uh, taxes, but also maybe sometimes the price point is just lower in general outside of China. Yeah. So they will stock up sometimes, they'll be buying, <laughs> you know, multiples of everything. Um, so I think, yeah, not just fashion, but beauty as well is, is booming. Huge. So has there been a significant change across domestic versus international luxury purchases across the Chinese market? Yes, absolutely. Down to regulations, basically. So previously, um, Chinese consumers, when they would travel, they would bring empty suitcases um, and they would be stocking up massively. But now when you return to China, often it's it's happening more than before anyways. Uh, Customs are being a lot more strict. They will check how much you've purchased, um, if you've gone over the limit of duty-free purchases, etc. So it is important to take that into consideration that there is a limit. Um, And also in terms of international e-commerce, so that also comes into it. So you can only go over a certain limit. Um, So China want to bring basically shopping back into China, which, um, which is understandable. So previously, up until basically two years ago, um, about a third of all luxury consumer goods were purchased by Chinese consumers, but only 10% of that was happening in China. Wow. So the rest was happening when they were traveling. So I think that number is going to, to shift. Um, we'll see how drastic the shift is, but brands are aware of it. So I think they're strengthening <laughs> their strategies locally. Uh, you can see it with the stores that they're setting up, with the actual infrastructure, even online of websites. Um, it's becoming more and more important for them to take into consideration that if they want to keep their Chinese consumers, they have to make the prices um, more interesting as well. Mm-hmm. There's usually quite a big gap between the price of the same product from a luxury brand in China versus internationally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, they need to basically uh, set everything up to see the Chinese consumers coming home. Um, I think an interesting spin-off of that is this island, Hainan Island, where basically China said, okay, this island is now a duty-free island. So you have Chinese people that are going there. Basically, the only things you can do there are shopping and golfing and (laughs) staying in nice hotels. 
So <laughs> it's like the best of village. That's of, kind um, of your dream, though, isn't it? Grace shopping. is a big golfer. I know. It's so you would love that, wouldn't you? It really would. My two loves in life. Shopping yeah, duty-free shop. Duty-free. Well, no, you know You may be the only non-Chinese person yeah. there. <laughs> Um. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, but it's really interesting you mentioned making sure your price points are attractive in the Chinese market because this week we had a call with one of our customers and they were discussing that they were reviewing their price points within the China market mm. and looking at like-for-like like products that had almost a 600 euro difference in price um, for the same item. And it's mad and that, that they need to kind of be more cognizant of that if they want to attract the that domestic shopper. Definitely. And I think what's quite funny is actually the Chinese consumers are so aware of the price. Yeah. They have these apps. So for example, Jessica's Secret, I really recommend downloading that app because it's like, whoa, you can see like basically the prices of any product internationally. So when you open the app, you can pick a category, you can pick beauty, fashion, mm -hmm. you can look by brand. So you could take, for example, a specific perfume of a brand and you can see all the prices of that perfume in the different sizes like across the world. So you can see what they're charging you in China and then you yeah. can see what it'll cost at Sephora in the US, what it'll cost at, at Boots, how much it'll cost in the various duty frees. So the Chinese consumers are so aware of the different price points mm -hmm. um, that you know they will plan their shopping around that. They're not going to waste money for no reason. If they know they're traveling somewhere, they know the price is going to be much cheaper. Uh, we often actually see cases as well of Chinese consumers who are buying like maybe it's a very expensive uh, luxury item and they'll just say you know what for the price difference that's in it I might as well just go travel yeah. and make yeah. a holiday out of it <laughs> absolutely um, so I think that's, that that's going to change because obviously they can't buy these goods anymore or the quantity that they were buying previously uh, tax free therefore yeah, brands do need to reconsider their price points <laughs> In China. far more informed than I think brands give them credit for absolutely is there a specific kind of category where you see sort of real strength at the moment I think traditionally it was always kind of bags that was one of the the top categories for mm. Chinese consumers um, especially when traveling but is there something else that you can see kind of cropping up that's going to make a big difference to people I think in the past few years um, makeup grew massively uh, in China so Previously, you know, makeup was not that present there. It wasn't a product that was used as we would use it uh, in the West. And now, you know, everyone has their Dior or their Chanel lipstick in, in their handbag in China, like more than we would here. Mm -hmm. um, then the kind of skincare wave came. So uh, traditional um, skincare brands from the West really grew massively, like beyond belief, like they could never have had that growth just remaining uh, in Europe or, or in the West in general. So that was uh, a big moment. But then you also saw Korean brands, skincare brands, mm -hmm. all this K-beauty um, growing as well. And now I think the categories that would do really well here that maybe haven't had that growth yet uh, in China are uh, fragrance mm -hmm. and hair care. So I think we see fragrances starting to grow more than before. It's a product that wouldn't usually be used actually um, by really? men or by women traditionally. No, I mean, it's perfumes are steeped in history. Uh, in Europe and especially in France but even in, in Italy and in general on the continent we've been using perfumes for a very long time mm. but it's it wasn't something that was used in China so you know I, I've heard funny stories about uh, friends of mine traveling home and bringing 
you know, French perfumes as gifts to their parents and they would just leave them in the bathroom and they would kind of be like a home spray. Yeah. <laughs> but it would be like a <laughs> Chanel numero cinq, you know, you don't really do that. But, so now I think it's something that um, is starting to be adopted, uh, probably just from international influence or even just all the Chinese that are traveling and that are discovering perfume mm-hmm. and the stories behind perfume. So the content you see online about perfume is much more educational than the content yeah. that we would see um, in, in Europe. So like the top searches on, um, on Baidu, which is the main Chinese search platform uh, around perfumes, wouldn't be like for specific perfume brands or perfume scents, but it would be like top five perfumes, top 10 perfumes. <laughs> yeah. um, because people are more searching because of, you know, what are the ones to buy rather than what do I like? Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps they don't know yet. It's fascinating, isn't it? How you know you you have to question everything that we we know, like the fact that the categories may not have even existed, and yeah. really kind of really thinking about that in more detail is it's absolutely it's, crucial, isn't it? it to is. have that kind of local experience, that local knowledge to help guide you when you when you go into the market. One hundred percent. Like, there's no point investing in. Okay, as we've spoken about already, you know, the campaign needs to be completely, you know, may need to be so different to that that you're offering in Europe or, you know, in America for fragrance because it's fundamentally a completely different mm. um, market and in stage of its existence. Mm. Absolutely. I um, had a stat earlier today that the word fashion didn't even exist in the Chinese vocabulary until the year 2000, which <laughs> I thought was unreal. I can, you know, I found that really hard to get my head around. I think that just shows, you know, in terms of like the lifespan of these certain. Yeah, things have moved really fast in, in yeah. the last uh, 10, 20 years. So we've talked a lot about Chinese New Year. Um, can you give us some insight onto maybe some other key shopping periods within the Chinese market that brands need to be aware of? Sure. So, of course, there's um, Singles Day, 11 11. Uh, originally created because all the the one ones on their own looked like lonely people so that's why this it's kind of the anti-valentines and then Alibaba looked for moments in the year when there were kind of uh, dips in sales and they said 11-11 that could be great and people that are lonely will love to go shopping so they've made a massive festival out of that that everyone else has kind of adopted and caught on to as well um, so that one's very interesting um, mainly online, so for international brands, of course, it's possible for them to participate in that and to do something special. Um, but then also you have Mid-Autumn Festival, so that's in oct- around October every year. And I think that one's interesting because it's less traditional than Chinese New Year, so mm-hmm. people are not necessarily going to be going to their family homes or whatever, but they do have a little bit more time off, so they're likely to travel internationally, to be coming to Europe, to be going to the US, so it's a, a big retail opportunity. And then... Also, we noticed there were peaks around the beginning and end of academic years. So, so many Chinese students study abroad. Um, if you know anyone that's in university, they'll tell you whether they're in the UK or somewhere else in Europe or in the US, like a huge percentage of the students in their class are now Chinese. So when they're traveling back to China, they're going to be stocking up on products, bringing back gifts for everyone. Um, you'll especially notice that in duty-free. So they'll be uh, ordering everything online and picking it up at the airport to bring mm-hmm. back with them to China. And then perhaps it's a moment that their family will come and collect them or even drop them off um, to kind of get the, the local tour by their, their child that's now a student abroad. Um, I think an interesting platform um, for this kind of stuff is actually to look at flights. So whatever country you're based in, if you're wondering, okay, when are the peak moments coming to my specific country? Um, there's a platform called Forward Keys, which is really interesting. So they have 
information on flight data coming in and out of China so you can see when the peaks are happening basically. So that could impact your, your retail. Amazing. That's fantastic. Just that insight of better planning. Absolutely. And, you know, being effective with your strategy and not just you know, thinking outside of just Chinese New Year and Singles Day. You know, there are so many opt- opportunities throughout the rest of the year. So if our listeners are going to take one thing away from this podcast, what would you recommend it would be? For me, if it's just one thing only, it's just being on the right platforms, whether it's for communicating. Um, you know, your local platforms here in Europe are, are not how you're going to reach the Chinese. Uh, and then platforms in terms of actually doing commerce. So again, that's going to be either Taobao, Tmall or your luxury pavilion, this kind of stuff. So probably Alibaba. Um, and if I could recommend two books to read on these topics, because they are dense topics and mm-hmm. there's a lot to a lot to be learned in order to kind of crack the Chinese market. Um, the first one would be Alibaba, the house that Jack Ma built. It's incredibly interesting, the story of Jack Ma and the empire that he has built. And then Grow Fast, Grow Global uh, by Sarah Carroll. So she's a British lady. So it's, you, you know, if you're not Chinese, that one's also really easy to understand because she explains it to you uh, in a way that you can uh, basically relate to what would be the equivalent in the Western world. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. We've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. you. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Unedited. If you've enjoyed today's conversation with Ashley, make sure you subscribe to keep in the loop with upcoming episodes. It would absolutely make our day if you could rate, review or subscribe to us. You can get in touch at unedited at edited.com or tweet us at edited underscore HQ. See you next time. Bye.